be free of it. Yeah. Even like I remember posting this thing in this like forum that I'm in and think about all the events that happen in the world. I was sort of like, you know, looking at my own stuff, how I perpetuated right. you know, race and racism. She's like, we, we are talking about it this too. Uh, right. And she just goes like, you know, that's so silly. Why would you like, I'm just like, listen, as a brown black person in this world who has faced racism, who has been in a room that I did not say something when I heard, I don't see color. Yeah. That's racist. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything because, uh, first of all, I was ignorant to it. And as I do more research to it, I'm like, oh shit, that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. I always felt uncomfortable when somebody said that to me and I didn't know why. And then till now, and I was just like, I've, there's been plenty of moments that I didn't say anything. I have to be responsible for that. Yeah. Do you see the sign? Silence is violence. Like there were so many times that I was silent. Yeah. I have to be responsible for that. Welcome to Dads on Deadlist podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Dads and Deadlifts with me, your host, Rish. Today's guest is one of my very good friends that we kind of connected literally a couple of months ago. We are that status now, good friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think so. After after what we talked over the phone, oh my God, like I feel the connection just from the very get go, man. I know since day one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me on your show. Yes. So tell me your story. What's who's uh, Jimmy? As far as me or like what I do? Yes. Let's start with you. Uh, my I, I, want, I want viewer to know who you are and uh, let's start off with uh, what's your story and then we'll kind of jump in like what you do. <laughs> my story. I don't think I've ever asked that, been asked that. So, you know, my name is Jimmy Allen. <laughs> I am a loving relationship coach, and I'm originally from Miami, Florida. I originally started off in the performing arts. I somehow I was I wanted to be an actor, and when I went to college, my, when I went to university, people don't. And I don't know why I said that because people in America don't say university. <laughs> it's very English, very foreign, but you get it. Yes. Um, and so when I was in 
when I got transferred from community college to college, my university, one of the requirements, because I got in at this acting program at university very last minute, because the semester was starting quickly, because I had just graduated and I was still waiting on the acceptance into the acting program. And so when I got in the program, usually you go in the fall, but I graduated in the fall. So I had to go into, I guess, the spring, like in January, something like that. And so all that, I couldn't start like with the other actors because I would, that's like first and second phases of these classes. So I had to just take the whatever class that they had in the acting curriculum. And one of the requirements was to dance. And so I took my very first ballet class, which I grew so much in that class that they offered me free classes. Wow. And so I started acting and dancing and then the dance and like really started to grow as I would become an actor. And I was like, okay, we well, you know, I want to be this actor, dancer, this like movie. I don't know. I was just like so into it because I was this free money and I really loved it. And, and my dream was to come to New York and do Broadway. Mm. But the one thing I didn't have was the singing because our school didn't do singing. So I was like, I'll work my ass off. You know, dance really opened up a lot for me. And I would say, since we are talking about a lot about men, and I think especially a man because I know we're getting to this already. This is what I we do. Yeah, we yeah. each other. Yes. So in the dance program, there was a, a man, white guy, I just had, since we are the world of race, and he sort of took me under his wing. Uh, well, not sort of, he did. So I don't know why he loved me. He would bring me to the side. He was like, hey, I'm giving you this scholarship. It's free money. Don't tell anyone. Like, you work your ass off, and I think you deserve this. And this is in New York? This is, no, this is in Miami. Miami, okay. Miami. So he gave me this money and really taught me a lot about pushing boundaries. I think this is where I get yeah. him. Like he really, and I started to call him dad and really, cause he was very controversial in the school. He lived in New York. He was very about being about it, not just talking about it. And he was also with other men who, um, his wife was from Brazil and they had a, a, another a guy who I had a huge crush on. He was from Brazil, like brown, my color, but he had these like green eyes, very attractive. All the women liked him, very straight. But anyway, they, in their work as a dancer, a choreographer, used to push boundaries. Mm. So like, and be unapologetic about it. And I was like, I want to be like that, you know? And also not indirectly, this guy's name is Gary, who we coincidentally, which no coincidence is, we reconnected this year. And I remember I invited him to my birthday party. We were on South Beach and this one of my favorite restaurants at the time is called Next. And he was there and his, like I said before, his wife, and it was like actually my first time being exposed to like Brazilians and mm -hmm. his wife was Brazilian. <laughs> and I remember seeing him and his wife at my party and she was sitting on his lap, just the way she was touching him and being all over him. And I was like, I want that. Like I want to be loved like that because I had never seen any relationship they were like no one else was in the room. Right. And not like they were like being uncomfortable with like making out and stuff like that. It was just like the essence of how they were with each other, the way he smiled, the way she touched him. She would whisper in his ear and I was just like, what are they doing? What is that? You know? And it was the first time I ever saw a relationship that visually I was like, I want that. And then you know, as I got to know them further and further, just to like see how they work together, they worked like a dance. They were like very ebb and flow with each other, very unapologetic with each other. And they, she was a dancer. 
And it was like a love that I rarely see today. And for me, that's what I want in my mm-hmm. own relationships and with my friends. What you're saying, telling me right now, I feel like, wow, yeah, that's what I want too. <laughs> right. And like, and I think I, that's what everyone needs. And it's like, even the way he treated me, it was that sort of intimacy he brought to the relationship. Like he was very touching and loving. And I didn't think, you know, I wasn't out at the time. I didn't think he was gay. At first I thought he was, but he wasn't. He was just very sure, comfortable with who he is. Right. was as a man, he was unapologetic, very loving. He was just this man. I just like, I was like, who are you? And I felt like safe and I felt like, heard and gotten and like and he had these sides of him as a man that like and I also thought he was strong and he had this vulnerability that was it was just so powerful that I was just like I want that I want to be like that yeah and just to connect with him again he's still the same way like he's like I've been watching you you know you're doing well like keep going with this coaching thing like you're just kick ass like just so he <laughs> just so you know the same the same exact way and his like I think he's in his 70s now and he doesn't live in Miami anymore. He lives in North Carolina. He's like creating his own farm, his own like agriculture. I was like, I'm not surprised that you're doing that, making your own village or whatever, you know, um, farm. So I think for me, like who I am is like, I guess I'm sure we're going to talk about relationships like as far as that, like he's always been this man that I've like, I love these qualities about him. And which ironically, I am a relationship coach that helps men and my own, even in my own journey, like strip away all that stuff. Because you don't realize through life, like, you know, as I'm thinking about it now, even to, even to get to where I am in a relationship, it's like, oh, I had to like go through all this. And then I had to get hit the wall and then realize I had the willingness to look at myself and like, oh, like all this stuff is not really what I want to be. I need to like strip the shit apart and just step into the man I need to be for the love that I want. So how long ago was this? You met this what? gentleman in Miami? I mean, I graduated college in... 2002 i met up with him this year in february he came to new york he was um the general director of this dance company okay sort of a dance spoken word dance company these men ironically there were these three latino black men and they were like sort of talking about their issues of being incarcerated and so they included dance and stuff like that and how they were only accused and all this other stuff. So they had created poetry and movement and stuff like that. So he was managing the group and they had a tour and they were coming to New York. And so he came to New York with this group and I got to meet the guys and you know, spend time with him. And we just caught up. So we just sort of been now just been staying more in contact than I hadn't spoken to him in almost 15 years. Wow. So would you say that he was the first man you saw when you felt that uh, there's authentic, unapologetic, uh, vulnerable man? Was he the first one or did you grow up around men who had the same traits or no? I think I would say he would be the first man that was like full blown. But I think growing up, like one of my uncles who he wasn't as fully self-expressed, but he was very different Mm. from the rest of the men in my family because he always, he was in the military, he was in the army. And when he would come to, he uh, lived in Georgia and he would come to visit our family always. He was very big on like making sure that me and his son were connected, like making sure that 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 was a relationship. Mm. He was really 
big on like, even though he was tough with me, he always made sure that I knew that he loved me. He was probably the first man that said, I love you and I care for you. And I, I didn't know why that was important to him until one day he called me out of the blue when I was in high school or college, I can't remember. And he said, I want you to come to Georgia. I'm going to pay for you to come here, get on a bus, get here now. Because he had mm. been away. He had been in Iraq and all those other places and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And his son was like older and I definitely had, we hadn't stayed in contact for a very long time. And so, you know, we went there. It was like, okay, kind of experience. My cousin was kind of distant and we didn't connect like we used to connect as kids. So I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. You know, it was a very, even though I connected with my uncle, but with my cousin who I really wanted to see, like he was just so dark at the time. Mm. And he was in the military, but he was in high school and I was just starting college. So we were just two just different people. And then when I got to New York, my uncle again, he called me and he left a message. He's like, hey, I want you to call your cousin. And I was like, eh. And I, because I, all I could remember is how he was when I first visited him in Georgia. I was like, I don't want to be around some like, I'm, I'm using this word loosely, like thuggy, like the guys he hung around with thuggy guys, but I didn't see him as stuck. I just saw him as like dark because of the people he associated with. And I kind of ignored the message. And then my uncle called me again. And he was like, I've been calling you. <laughs> I need to call me back. So I called, called him back. He's like, I need you to connect with him. We need to connect this family and you need to do it. And then I still didn't call him. And then my cousin, he called me and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I still had, you know, this is what I work with a lot of men. This is what happened in relationships. You know, an experience happened and then or something in our past comes in our view. All we can make a decision about that person. All we can see now is that old version of that yeah. person. And, it's, and it hinders a lot of relationships. And so it definitely was hindering me connecting with my family and, you know, talked to my cousin and we started to really connect. Like, I was like, whoa, like these different, you know, and... And at one point, as we started to come get closer, he was like, when his father passed away, he was like, you know, we were drinking and he was like, explain to me, like, I'm really glad that this connection happened. He said, because I wasn't, I was resist, resisting. And I was like, I was resisting too. <laughs> you know, he oh was like, fuck, fuck family, like blah, blah, blah. And like, he already made a decision about what family meant to him. And he was like, I just wanted to be with my wife, my kids. That's family for me. That's enough. I didn't want anything to do with any other family mm. until we started connecting. And he was like, you know, my dad, I don't know why, but he loved you. And he was like, you need to connect with him. Y'all need to be family be together no matter what. And then I was like, oh, you know, it really just like, then I got like why he was fighting for us to mm. connect and be together and whatever we need to work out. I guess we need to work it out to be a family. So how are you guys right now? You guys are in close contact? We're in close-ish right now because he's in the Navy. He just got promoted to, um, well, he was a chief engineer and then he got another promotion where he's working directly with the White House. Wow. So he's responsible for a lot of things. So he's, he's somewhere near Afghanistan right now. Um, I can't remember exactly. But, no, sorry. He's in Dubai right now. So our connection is like very off and on because of the distance, you know, yeah. before we would talk, you know, regularly, but because he was living in Virginia, but because he's away, it's been a little bit more difficult because of the time difference. Okay. But we still, we like message each other and stuff like that. 
So before we switch gears, one last thing about Jimmy. So when did you move to New York and when did you decide to move to New York? I moved to New York in 2006. I was like, I had a, a dance career on Carnival Cruise Line and I was like, I had enough. Carnival decided that the ship that I was on was going to relocate from Miami to New York. I was like, oh, this is a sign. And I was like, didn't renew my contract. And I was like, I'm getting off. My contract is done. I'll be in New York. I ain't got to like do all this schlepping. I'll take all my shit off, put it in storage, find a place. And that's what I did. Wow. And so you're, wow. So it's 14 years now. So this is your home. Oh God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even really think about that. Yeah. 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 No, it's funny. The reason I know it, it's very easy for me because 2006 is the year I came to United States. So, Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> so that's what's easy for me. Wow. Okay. So let's switch gears. So looks like, I think like, wow. I mean, we talk so many things and um, what I see, what I heard right now about this gentleman that came in your life as a professor, teacher, however you want to call it, that showed up so authentically and with vulnerability. And I feel like literally he's probably the role model for whole man up movement really should be as uh, how we are redefining it, not how it is right now. <laughs> how it is right now is absolutely shallow. I know because that word is very triggering for me now. Like, ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what got you into coaching? What got me into coaching? So I had just participated in this transformation, this personal growth course, three and a half day course. And I had a friend of mine who did the course and she really went through the course and how, and I knew that it changed her life. And then I remember the, was it the third day of the course I was just finishing up? She messaged me out of the blue and she said, hey, read this book. Now that you've done this course, read this book. And it was called Calling in the One. And I was like, what is this? She's like, now you did the forum, do read this book. And she's like, don't ask me any questions, just read the book. So it was all about relationships. So I went on Amazon immediately. I just like, I didn't, I did exactly what she said. And I just like bought the book, just bought it. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I, the reviews are really great. I did, I read a little bit about it. I was like, oh my God, this is like perfect timing. And so, you know, I get the book and I'm doing the work. Um, and it was very similar to the course because the woman, I, the woman who actually wrote the book actually did the same course that I did. And I was just like, oh. holy shit, this is like too coincidental. Like, and I was very obsessed with the book, just all the work. It was a lot of work, you know, not only just reading, like, because a lot of dating books are just like reading about it, insight. It's like, no, just work you got to do in your life, just like the three-day course. It's like work in your life. And so, you know, as you go through the book, it also recommends you do it with people, she said, because it's in the sharing that you all learn and grow because mm -hmm. it's love, just like love, love is co-creating. And so when you're in partnership with someone about what you want, then most likely that thing that you want is going to happen quicker. Yeah. So we're always co-creating one with the universe, whether you like it or not. It's just the way it is. Nothing that you see around us is made by the individual. It's a co-creation. Even the nature of a human being, it takes people, we co-create that right. a human being. Yes. And so, you know, found two friends who agreed to do the book. And so we're doing the book and we're doing the work and things are coming up for us. And then, and I was also had taken other courses in this program and I started coaching. I just started to coach this other program for free because I wanted to learn the distinction of the program. So I really loved the program. I was like really nervous. I kind of got thrown into coaching that like, but I didn't think about becoming a professional coach. Mm. I wanted to coach. I knew that 
teaching others about what you learn is only make you a master of absolutely it. so that's the only reason why i chose to coach and then it was funny because not only do you coach other people but you get a coach and so we're all we were in a meeting and then you know the girl who's my coach said be funny you know you get all boys all men <laughs> trying to break through in love and sure enough i had four men that i had to coach and i was like terrified you know <laughs> it's like oh god like you know especially i think it's so funny like we're talking about race and like i automatically had this assumption about this one guy because he's he's jamaican and he's very tough and he was you know but i'll get into him later but i would say about him is that i learned quickly when I, when I coaching him, like I grew so much. I just really grateful for him. And every time he sees me, he was like, we, we always say the same thing that we're grateful for each other because we yeah. learned so much about life, love and family and coaching and pushing him in four months. So anyway, so in my, you know, calling in the one group, I started to hear my friends differently. Like I would, they would say these things and they were trying to like, you know, as a coach, you're trained to hear what's underneath what people are saying. And so I remember, this is not quite accurate, the particular moment, but I remember this moment. One of the girls, it was me and two women, and um, we were supposed to share a part of the book. It says, share our vision of love. She was describing this guy who she wants to be in love with and then she said this one thing and it kind of made me like do a mm. face and she even said it she said jimmy i know you're gonna make a face when i say this but i'm gonna say it anyway and she's like you know i don't want somebody she wants i want somebody with good feet uh, and i was like <laughs> really like in my mind I, I was trying my best and that's what was happening when i was with the, with the girls like I was trying my best to hold it back. And as a coach, like when I'm with people, that's sometimes how it is. Like I'm trying, I'm listening and I hear what they're saying. And I'm just like, just let it go, just let it go. And, but I can't because like, it's like calling me to like call it out. And I said to her, I said, what is that? You're going to dump a man over his feet? I was like, let me tell you something. A man can go get a pedicure and get his feet done. But I say, if a man shows up and he's emotionally vulnerable and available, that's a man who did a goddamn work. He can go get his feet done, but it takes time, patience, and some goddamn bravery to be a man who is emotionally available. And she looked at me and she was like, I didn't think about that way. It's just like, yeah, like you, people be dumping people over like yeah. this careless bullshit requirements. I'm just like, come on, there's a good man right in front of you. And because he's like, as it happened to me, because I'm too tall and you're like, no, you're just two inches too tall for me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you really kidding me? You're basing to find love off of two inches of height. People's requirements for love sometimes is so ridiculous. We and just we just sometimes forget <laughs> that that's basically what I kind of felt that too. And I've been there, trust me. I mean, uh, and I, me too. <laughs> like, oh my God, she has to be perfect. Like, you know, figure zero body and all that. But uh, I think like we, we internalize love nowadays through social media and how everyone else and how we will look. Yeah. Right. And it's how the and, person is. Right. And it's all about how we are going to look with that person. Yes. It's based off that decision. You know, I know we're, you're asking me about like how to become a coach, you know, I, well, I had to really look at that. Like when I say things out loud, like why I want to date this person because of this trait, I'm like, why do I believe that? Is that the deal breaker for me having a relationship based off of somebody's race, somebody's height, somebody's weight, somebody this? And it's like, 
why is that true? Why is that my truth? You know, like having those tough conversations with myself and people get really triggered when I question <laughs> there, you know, with them. And I don't know if I want to go into this, but I, I had a guy who made a comment at this party, like a gay pride party. He's like, oh, I couldn't, you know, date somebody with tattoos. And they're like, what? Because he already had this like idea of what a guy with tattoos would. That's, that's the internalization of that. Right. What that means. And I think I got triggered because I, he was an African-American man saying this. And I was, I was like, hold up. Like, here's an African-American man, and we're used to being targeted that way, and mm-hmm. now you're doing it to other people. I was just like, that is, I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. And he got very, I didn't sound like I said fucking sense, but I was like, right. when you challenge people's beliefs, and I think that's what you see out today, they get very angry. Instead of like, and I'm asking you a question about it, like, why do you believe that that is the truth or your a truth? Like, because you're missing out on the possibility of love, whether it's romantic or friendship. You're missing out based off some belief that does not serve you or this country that is hindering your ability to give and receive love. So I know this is a long story about being become a coach. So anyway, so another moment had happened with my friend. We worked together and you know, she had been single for eight years and I didn't know what it was at the time. And I was something I just couldn't. And I, when I remember we were working and she's bringing up her ex again, and then she started talking about this dream and all this other stuff. And I don't know even why I asked her this question. It just like came up and I said, what do you need for him to say to you to let you go? Mm. And she broke down crying and I was, and I froze and I was just like, what? Did I just do? We were in the middle. We're setting up for work because uh, I do these like side jobs and I wasn't coaching. And um, what's happening? Like she said, I mean, she was like, she's like, I need to hear that. She said, because I wanted him to ask me to marry me. And he never did. And she said, I needed to hear that question because that was the question in order for me to let go. And I was, she was still holding on and still very angry until I asked her that question. And then she looked at me, she goes, she's let me tell you something. You better start coaching. She said, I don't care what you do. You are a coach. You need to investigate this. Stop playing around. This is what you meant to do. I know it. And so I just started like, asking like, oh, then, I, then in that moment, I was like, okay, well, maybe I am a coach. Yeah. Then I was like, okay, universe, show me. <laughs> and that's sure enough, like I... Maybe that weekend, I had also was reading another book called at the time called um, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Mm. I was decluttering my bookshelf. And after I decluttered my bookshelf, she said, you know, stand back and look at your bookshelf. The subject that stands out the most, the most of it, that's what you're meant to do in your life. And so I did that. And it was like all these relationship books. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, no way like no way this cannot be real and and i and i it just may sound a little bit woo woo but but in that moment i had all these flashes of my life come back to me of like all how life has been preparing me for this moment like mm-hmm. it was just crazy. I stopped what I was doing. I went to my computer. I looked up this woman who wrote the book. And literally, I've looked up this woman so many times in the book. And in Google, there was an ad that she put out. I am looking to train people for coaches to be a coach. And I was like, no. <laughs> it was just like crazy that I go on the site and I'm reading about the program. And I just, and I just break down crying. It was like, for me, confirmation. This is what I was meant to do. 
and I just signed that. Wow. I got a little emotional. The reason is when you said that, I don't believe it's woo-woo because um, just like your relationship and with me and you talked offline so many times now, you already kind of know is um, growing up, I had been so vulnerable, but always been teased and I was like, uh, oh, you're just emotional fool and all that. I Then I kind of try to change myself, try to become someone else that I'm not right. <laughs> until something happens, happened. and uh, But then when kind of all hell broke loose, then all I could see on my shelf is literally self-improvement vulnerability books how to show up <laughs> authentically i'm like i need to i need to write something like that that's i need to raise awareness in this topic and when you said that i think it always shows us that i feel and i told you before that our pain i think prepares us and kind of leads us to what we can use that to serve others it does and and i would say to that like you have to have the willingness to let it guide you and you have to ask yourself the right questions Mm -hmm. i remember tony robbins talks about this all the time all the time and i remember him saying it before and this was also along the lines when i started i realized i was a coach and then i don't know i kind of came across his one of his like short videos or something like that i don't even know why because i I occasionally always look up tony robbins um and he said you know the reason why most people fail in their relationship and business because they don't ask themselves the right questions. They ask them, they ask like, why is this happening to me? Why can I get this right? Why can I, why won't this happen for me? He's like, no. He was like, well, what can I learn from this? What, what is this teaching me? Like, you know, he was like, if the right questions allows your brain to look for the answer. Yeah. If you don't ask the right questions, your brain is, you're only focusing on what you already don't have. You want to switch that and ask yourself the right questions. And that was really real for me. And I remember Oprah said the same thing. And I was like, oh my God, Oprah says this. And then I always, she has this one question, which I always ask. She says, you know, what is this here to teach me? And I will always say that over and over and over again, even after like my last breakup. And I remember like, sitting in the car, I was in Miami and like, I thought I was going to like marry this dude. And like, and cause we were so, I had just finished doing all the calling and the one work and he was literally everything I wanted, except the one thing he was emotionally unavailable. And I didn't know what it was at the time. And I was like, something is not right about this, mm. but I didn't know I felt it. Everything was, was great. And then, and then I remember, I don't know why, I had sent them this video by Brene Brown called The Power of Vulnerability and then hoping to have a discussion about it. And he's like, oh no, that's not for me. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, uh, vulnerability, no. Mm. Um, I was like, what? You know, like, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I kind of like pushed to the side because I was like, well, maybe, you know, oh, he has all these other things that I really love. But when, after that breakup, I realized like, I mean, you cannot have a real, juicy, authentic relationship without emotional availability. It yeah. is all on the surface. And I was just like, at least that's from my experience. Like, mm-hmm. you know, without emotional availability, your relationship is just surface. Yeah. Like, there is barely connection. And like, if that, you cannot show up vulnerable in, with your partner, then that's red flag right there. That's right. Something something wrong i mean like right. I, I should not say wrong or right it's i think i also learned is like not judge others it's mostly like well they are probably holding on to the limiting beliefs and not working on themselves right they have their own limited beliefs which is not your problem but you have to ask yourself and sometimes and i had my difficulty with letting that relationship go was 
because it exuded all these other things that I wanted. And then I remember again, like I said, you know, what what is this here to teach me? And I remember (laughs) I was driving in Miami, coming from Costco. I was like literally crying every other day. And like, because I also, the preface, I made a promise to myself when I got into this relationship, because I knew in the very beginning that it was going to be, I don't know why, I was like, this is going to be very, if we break up, this is going to be heavy because we had such a strong connection from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm going to make a promise to myself. I'm not going to suppress my emotions. I'm not going to make him wrong. I'm not going to blame him from anything. I'm going to look at myself and be responsible how I showed up no matter what. And I'm going to allow myself to feel what I feel because I'm a human being and that's it. Yeah. And I kept that promise. And that's why I was like crying every other every day. And I remember asking that question in the car and it like hit me. And I was like, oh my God, like I had this belief that I didn't know my value and my worth that I could bring to the table. Had no idea. I was always trying to prove and think I wasn't good enough, think I wasn't good enough. And I was like, oh my God, I, I see it now. I see my worth. I see what I could bring to the table. All this work that I did on myself showed up in this relationship, no matter who he was, I did not have to change and be apologetic about it. I still showed up and he still dealt with his shit. Uh, he, I mean, he's a really great guy. His emotional unavailability was the thing, but I made the promise to myself to show up, to mm-hmm. be emotionally available, to be unapologetic, to say what I feel, to like have the difficult conversations. I did that. And because I, before I didn't do that <laughs> and I was like, I showed up, I showed up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mine is a little different because I feel like I changed myself in, even though initially I was available in my last relationship. And then suddenly I started changing myself to be liked, to be validated. Mm-hmm. I was that too. <laughs> and I suddenly am like, okay. And at one point I'm like, hold on a minute, it's not working. And then when I realized like, she's very much dependent on me to make her happy. So, mm. and there will be times that I'm tired. I'm like, not every day will be the same. And I cannot bring happiness every day to you. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to be internally happy yourself. Yeah, that's another thing I learned, and this taught me a lot of things. And this—that's what I said the other day. I ain't going back ever, yeah. ever. This is it. <laughs> and I literally like wrote myself in that journal till I actually got like got it out of my system. I am not changing. You accept yeah. me how it is. I am not gonna show up uh, completely different than who I'm not. So yeah, you know that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to get. Yeah, like, it's not my responsibility to make you happy. You're responsible to make you happy. I'm responsible to make myself happy. And together we bring that into the relationship. And I remember it took me a long, I heard it before. It took me a long time to really get it. And it was like, basically, you know, I was understanding it, but it was an episode with Will Smith and Jada Pickett on on their um, red table. And when Will Smith said that to Jada, I was like, oh, right. So he's like, because I am exhausted. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is exhausting trying mm-hmm. to do all these things. To me. And that was me in my first relationship. Did it, like, did it matter how much I did for this dude? It was not enough. Because I was catering and acting at the time. And I remember we, loved, we used to go to the Broadway theater and stuff like that. And he had bought us tickets to some show on Broadway. And that week, I had literally worked almost 60, 70 hours. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go to the show because I knew by the end of the week, I was going to be exhausted. Because that same day, I was coming from finishing up 
a, like a week gig working long hours. And I was like, my gut, it was like a bad idea. He was bitching and complaining that we wasn't spending much time together. I was like, dude, like I have to do this this week. Like we could do this next week. No, we need to go. This is a day where this I'm available. We got to do this. I was like, okay, whatever. I remember like I could, I fell asleep. He was pissed. <laughs> and I was like, I, I told you that this was not going to work and you insisted and now you're blaming me. I was like, you know, I'm going to learn to say no. Yeah. <laughs> in this relationship, I know me now, from now on, I'm going to start saying no. You get mad, don't care. Yeah. I was, I think at that point, I was just tired of like doing extra just to make this person happy. And it was just, it was a lot. It's, it's exhausting and it's tiring. And then what you actually get, like you become a yes man because you're constantly yeah. trying to come up with different ideas to make the, make your partner happy. But eventually you start finding like, hold on a minute, I'm really faking it at this point. And then uh-huh. you start really get angry at yourself. Like, come on, why am I doing this? But there's no, and then you eventually become yes, man, yes, man, yes, man. And then suddenly everything kind of held broke. Break. So it's like, hold on. Yeah. And even, even then some... what happens is you change so much. Eventually your partner also start like, don't liking you. Like, hold on a minute. This is not who I met. I'm like, uh, yeah. And it's on me. It is really on yeah. me. So I take full responsibility for it. Like yeah. completely. Uh, no matter how much wrong you did, but at the end of the day, I have to work on myself. I cannot keep blaming all of it on you. Yeah, and that's really, I made it happen. I let it happen. Yeah, and like that's really great that you recognize that because most people don't want to recognize that they did all those things. Right. Taking one hundred percent responsibility of how you show up is just even though it feels is going to be ugly. <laughs> yep. Going to be uncomfortable. Yep. But that's okay. Yep. And because <laughs> none of this shit sometimes is pretty. Yeah. And I remember again, you know, when I did my three day, the three day course, and I was just talking about this with one of my best friends. And uh, I said to her, I said, I remember when I started to realize, even though he did all the things he did, and I was so pissed at him and doing, you know, being verbally abusive and to me and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I remember like really looking at how I showed up in that relationship. I was like, yeah, I allowed that. I didn't speak up. Yeah. I didn't set boundaries. I didn't argue my point. I said yes when I should have said no. I was like, yeah, I did that. And I and then when I got a little bit deeper, deeper in a sense, I remember this phrase that Oprah always says too, people tell you who they are from the very beginning. Yeah. And I was like, did he really tell me who he was in the very beginning? And I ignored it. And I was like, ooh, he did. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, like I did this because this person is attractive. They have a little bit of money and like, you know, my life was like really great because of that. And like, it was just, it was just so complex. Even I remember when I first moved into the apartment, I remember saying, this person is not the one. I'm not going to marry this person, but I stayed anyway. Uh-huh. And I remember saying that and people do that. Yes. And they forget that they, when we explain these things, that we're putting it out there in the universe, and that holds us back from being with the person that we're with. Yeah. And when that came to me, and I was just like, "Ooh, he had no chance," because I was fighting him every step of the way. He was not going to get the full me. I knew deep down that this wasn't going to work. Yeah. But I it anyway, and I had to take responsibility of that. Yeah, and I did and the same thing. Hard. Yeah, that was hard. I did the same thing and I actually second guessed myself and questioning myself like, Rish, you know, maybe you don't know who you are. Maybe this is it. This is how it works. And there's so many questions that we get wrapped up into. And it's funny, then it's hindsight 2020 and it's pretty shitty. Yeah. Literally. uh, Because 
I mean, in pun intended, like 2020 year has been pretty shitty. That's <laughs> <And then laughs> hindsight 2020. So it's funny we said that because and it kind of tackles everything that this platform is about, everything that we are going through right now. It's hard to accept it. It's hard to accept for all of us because that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, uh, I don't want to talk about it, right? and mm-hmm. what's going on in the society about like, race uh, and racism race, mm-hmm. racism what's going on in the world like in terms of what we learned like man up and boys don't cry and don't throw it like a girl like every time you talk it was like we are men that's how we're supposed to show up no we're not really i mean no. let's let's talk that, no and that's not really how it should work it really makes me cringe when i hear men say that it's like no there is no fucking book that says we need to show up <laughs> that way which is all made up and it could be rewritten yes <laughs> it could be rewritten it is just you are holding on to believe that belief that is holding you back that hold your own view and you don't want to let it go because you don't know what's on the other side of that you don't know anything outside of that and it's like that's okay because there is another way there's yeah. all there's more than one way to show up as a man yeah and it's like it really just you know it just, I'm very passionate about it. And yeah. I, I remember one of my friend clients, he was going through this breakup with this girl and um, he was like, well, I want to hire you. Like we were, we were talking and he said something to me and I said, uh, he was like, you know, she, like it was, it was the language he was using. This is how I know when everything's about the other person, then I know he's being a victim. Mm-hmm. Even though she did what she did, how she showed up, you know, he felt like, he was being she was like this sort of rich girl he was like this sort of like you know rich i mean he was like i had to bust my ass to get to where i am and i said yeah and you allowed that mm-hmm. you know what do you mean i was like i said what you just told me is bullshit i was like you were unwilling yeah. to speak up in your relationship you allowed her to run you over you allowed it to happen you didn't set any boundaries you didn't set your needs because of the fact you don't even know your needs even articulate it to this woman yeah I'm sure that's not what exactly what I said, but I remember I'm on the phone and I heard dead silence. And I stopped. I was like, are you there? And he, and I was like, are you crying? He goes, yeah. He's like, what you just said is the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you own up to the truth of it, then you can be free of it. Yeah. Even like, I remember posting this thing in this like form that I'm in and thinking about all the events that happen in the world. I was sort of like, you know, looking at my own stuff, how I perpetuate it. Right. No race and racism. She's like, we we are talking about it this too. Uh, Right. And this girl was like, you know, that's so silly. Why would you like, I'm just like, listen, as a brown black person in this world who has faced racism, who has been in a room that I did not say something when I heard, I don't see color. Yeah. That's racist. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything because first of all, I was ignorant to it. And as I do more research too, I'm like, oh shit, that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. I always felt uncomfortable when somebody said that to me and I didn't know why. And then till now, and I was just like, I've, there's been plenty of moments that I didn't say anything. I have to be responsible for that. Yeah. Do you see the sign? Silence is violence. Like there were so many times that I was silent. Yeah. I have to be responsible for that. Yeah. And that's exactly, I think uh, we were taking this on Saturday, I think, like, right. We were having this offline conversation, but I agree. uh, Because I think that's the first thing that just like we are asking to acknowledge that white privilege is, it's an issue and it's a problem to acknowledge the same thing. We also have to acknowledge that uh, we cannot be silent. We have to talk. Yeah. Uh, And and, uh, as I was saying, like, you know, I mean, I feel like I unlearned so many things over the last two weeks and uh, the processing of it, like you and I and everyone else is just going through just all sorts of trauma and everything is just coming up it's like hold on like where are all this coming from right 
And there's so much learning and unlearning going on at the same time. I mean, as you know, like uh, just both of us talked, we have to also acknowledge that what we did to let it happen. Right. And it's like being in a relationship. Like you cannot go into the next relationship unless you look at how you showed up, Mm -hmm. those patterns, you're the white, because it's going to happen again. Right. If you can't recognize the nuances of how you showed up in a relationship, you're not going to know or see it the next time because you haven't done the work. Yeah. Looks, you haven't acknowledged. Yeah, I did that. I don't want to do that again. This is how I want to show up now. I'm not going to do that again. It's like, it's the same thing. I don't know. People might get like a little upset, like when I say that, but it's like me, I'm taking my own personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to show up that way this time. Right. No, it's okay. At this point, I think that's exactly what my take on it. I'm yet to go on social media, which I might do this week. I, I, I was processing, as I was telling you, like two weeks have been pretty tough, even for me. But I feel like it's okay. It's okay to upset people. I rather have upset people and take 0.1% of what I'm saying and process it themselves versus not upsetting and keep pleasing people that we all have been doing. Right. We people please. I it's I am that way. Like I would do things. And sometimes you do it so much that you are unaware and it's so automatic. And I think a lot of people of color, it's so automatic that they know that it's automatic and they're tired of it. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, the explosion. And somebody like this this girl from, I know from South Africa, you know, something she said, something about George Floyd. And she's like, I don't know why this is like, people are protesting about this. And I was like, I said, it's not just George Floyd. I said, it's about all the events that happened up to his death. It was literally back to back to back. And then that one, George Floyd was just like, it was it's like, a pressure cooker. it was, it was like enough. Valve is like, boom, let's go. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was, it was his death that was the catalyst of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Enough is enough is enough. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think like that's where all of us on this side of the aisle, like this conversation, these difficult conversations needs to happen either with our family, friends. Like as a matter of fact, I'm literally talking to like group of friends here in Michigan and literally we set up just talk, no public recording and anything like this, but we just want to talk. We just want to listen and learn and understand like each other where we are coming from and literally they're, I'm brown, they're white people, they're you know black people, but we cannot be silent on this. That's where I think everything comes down to that, like how we show up and where we could have taken action, we did it. Yeah. And is this something that we want to keep continuing doing it? Yeah. I'm, we I'm, should yeah. change it. I'm glad you said that because I'm in B school with Maria Folio and she fucked up. Yeah. White woman. And she just posts, she just, it should go on her website now. She changes. Like, it's like, it's like I, all black. Yeah. And I love it because she even says in the community, she goes, I fucked up. Yeah. To me, I don't, I don't think she's a racist, but she right. sat some people on the platform and that went wildfire. I yeah. was like, whoa, like B-School was on fire. And they were like, this is what white privilege looks like. Right. Like it was nasty. And she would post these videos every day. She was like, you can literally see her actively. And, and like, she's a huge thing in the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. Actively, yeah. I'm a huge like, fan in of the her. Group, yeah. Like, just like learn I'm here, I'm learning. And the thing about it is like, you know, like I said to you before, like a lot of people don't have the willingness to look at themselves. They were just like attacking her. Guys, like in my mind, like I say, hurt people hurt. Hurt people hurt people. They're hurt. Like she didn't intentionally hurt people, but now because of these people who are hurt, now they're trying to like get back at her. Yeah. 
And I'm just like, this is just like, you know, I had to stay away from it. And then she sent this email today on her website, taking full responsibility right. of her ignorance, what she said, mm-hmm. what she did. It's like really well done and it's like really moving. She said, I didn't know. She said, I literally had to call every single black friend that I had and they need to educate me. Mm-hmm. And I said, educate me. And so she got educated. And then she said, well, here's the actions that my company is going to do. And she laid it out. And yeah. I was like, God damn. Yeah. And that's exactly what we want. We don't want to keep bashing. I mean, keep bashing our white friends uh, will not help. At the end of the day, what we want is a solution and talk about it and educate them how we feel and show them that, hey, these are the things maybe you are unintentionally, unconsciously doing it because this had been passed on through generations, just like on this side of systemic racism, that same thing on the other side had been passed on through your grandfathers, great, great grandfathers and fathers, you know, like all sorts. things. Yeah. And it's, I'm learning There's so many things I didn't know. Like there's a podcast, you got to listen to it. It's 10, 12, 10, 12 episodes. It's called Seen S-C-E-N-E on radio. I haven't done it yet. I, I uh, and honey, they lay it out. This was done back in 2006 or 12. They get deep into the race thing, how it's in our country, how it starts. It is just like mind blowing. And they bring all these historians, these scientists, and they bring in some big guns of like, they like bring up the constitution, what the words actually mean. They bring up like, you know, Thomas Jefferson, what he said, you know, Lincoln, they bring it all. I mean, it just like, oh my God. Yeah. Like you just don't realize how much is in the country. And then I'm reading White Fragility and she's like the same thing. In the beginning, she has these like words that people use. And I was like, oh my God, that like that that happened to me. Right. Like, you know, and I just like, wow, like because I was just so unaware. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said to you before, I knew that I felt some kind of way when some people say certain things to me. And I was just like, oh, that's why I feel that way. That's why I feel un- not uncomfortable, but like, man, that's not a really a pass to say, oh, I have a black friend. I have black friends. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. no. That's a unintentional, unconscious alibi. Yeah. It's what she said is, is it's their way of not talking about color. A race mm-hmm. that they're uncomfortable that people say that oh I have black friend I have a black a uh, black friend or we have a coworker or you know I don't see color which basically means that you're diminishing that person's experience and that you see them as the same in actuality scientifically we are the same but this country wouldn't made us separate right yeah. and therefore our experience like you don't see my you don't see me in my experience. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like we don't experience life the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. There's it's a, oh my god, like again, I mean we can keep going on and on on this like just like the other day. Hey, um so your podcast. Mhm. Crazy Juicy Love. Mhm. Why did you start that? Like what motivated you to start that? I got a call out of the blue from a friend of mine. He's an entrepreneur, successful, and I had met him in um, this program and he gave me some advice. Well, he gave me some advice before this phone call. And so as I was doing my coaching, started my coaching business, I thought I wasn't a full-time coach yet, but I was in the midst of getting my certification. He gave me some advice of what to do, how to like do social media, something like that. I can't remember. And I started to do it, even after he left. And then he called me. He's like, oh my God, you did everything I said to do. He was like, your next move is do a podcast. 
And he was like, in 2019, podcast is going to blow up. And he was right. Oh, yeah. He was like, you need to get on the bandwagon. And this is also a way for you to, to build relationships, you know, to network, right. to provide a free platform for your community and people that you coach or who can afford you and all this other stuff. And I was like, okay, so I've done it. Then he put me into his, um, he had a free course that he created, uh, how to start your podcast. And I started, you know, you know, doing it. And I started, you know, going through the course and doing what he told me to do. And then it started to evolve. It was like the name, like, and so the name was like, and again, I was in the midst of my certification and we were on, we were in a classroom, a virtual classroom and the author of the book, my coach, she was coaching a girl. All she said was, so when you get accepted into the course, the coaching course, you get to go into her regular course for free. You get to see how she's coaching other people. Mm. You don't get to participate, but you get to experience the 49 days of love. That's her like her group course of calling in the one. She said something to this girl and I noticed how I felt. And she said to the girl, she said, don't you want a juicy relationship? And I literally started giggling. <laughs> I started giggling and everybody was like giggling and stuff like that. And I just wrote it down. Like, and I was like, I'm, I don't know. I just wrote it down. And then when he told me about, he, when he was telling us to do a podcast, that came to my mind, juicy, juicy mm. love. And then I was like, playing with words. I was like, oh, crazy juicy love. Like, yeah, that's it. And so that's how the name. (laughs) Amazing. Love it. Love it. No, seriously. And thank you for having me too on your podcast. So that was was a great time. That was a great time. Tell my listeners, where can they find you? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so you can find me on my website, Jimmy Allen Coaching, and my Instagram, Jimmy Allen. And um, I actually am giving like $200 off uh, my new expanded courses of Calling the One and Calling One for Men. And so actually, if you uh, if you go on the website, you'll get to participate in like I have a free workshop okay. for anyone who's trying to up-level their online dating profile. Okay. <laughs> so I created this workshop so you can download that for free. And if you found value, then we can schedule a conversation and see what we can create. Awesome. I'll have your uh, link and profile link with my podcast so that people can, uh, who are listening uh, can go and uh, find you easily. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And then before we end, Jimmy, as I said, like I always have a surprise question. Oh, you do, huh? <laughs> hey, for you, for you, I'll, I'll keep it pretty easy. I'll keep it pretty easy. Okay. Oh, give me the easy one. Okay. I might put it on spot. <laughs> you could put me on the spot. What's crazy juicy love means for Jimmy? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> really? uh, what's crazy juicy love? Juicy love. For me, it's like that giggle when you see that person. It's like waking up in the morning and being able to just be in the presence of that person. And like, you're just talking and you're just being there. You're touching, you're kissing, you're just hugging. And it's just like the day just passes by you're like oh shit like it's midnight you know and you know you're the ebbs and flows of like um just the conversation just being it's like almost like a dance like sometimes you know to me i know when i'm with someone that is real juicy when when the silence is filled with like so much mm. i'm not questioning wow it's just like the silence is just filled and we're here with each other and nothing really needs to be said. What are you thinking? None of that. None of that. It's like, we just know who we are and we don't need to say, although I love to talk and I love to be quiet. <laughs> Sometimes I can talk too much. Right. And just like knowing that I don't need to say something in order to please you or like right. to break the silence. And I can just, I can just be 
here with you right now and still be filled with love. Wow. Love it. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So one thing, as you already know, I close my podcast with a quote from a book that I read and I, I read it to you offline, but I will read it uh, today online. <laughs> reading this. Uh, oh yeah. So my cue. Yeah. Glennon, uh, Untamed. Uh, Glennon Doyle. And keeping with the theme of this podcast, talking about men and how it is, there's a chapter in this book. It says, boys, and I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from that. Our men are caged too. The parts of themselves they must hide to fit into those cages are the slices of the humanity that our culture has labeled feminine. Traits like mercy, tenderness, softness, quietness, kindness, humility, uncertainty, empathy, connection. We tell them, don't be these things, because these are feminine things to be. Be anything but feminine. The problem is that the parts of themselves that our boys have been banished from are not feminine traits. They're human traits. There's no such thing as feminine quality, because there is no such thing as masculinity or femininity. Femininity is just a set of human characteristics a culture pours into a bucket and slaps with the label feminine. Gender is not wild, it's prescribed. When we say girls are nurturing and boys are ambitious, girls are soft and boys are tough, girls are emotional and boys are stoic, we are not telling the truths. We are sharing beliefs, beliefs that have become mm. mandates. If these statements seem true, it's because everyone has been so well-programmed. Human mm. qualities mm. are not gendered. What is gendered is permission to express certain traits. Why? Why would our culture prescribe such strict gender roles? And why would it be so important for a culture to label all tenderness and mercy as feminine? Because disallowing the expression of these qualities is the way the status quo keeps its power. I tell you what's going on right now in the world and with men in general, uh, and race, and everything that we are seeing. I mean, this resonates with me so much. Yeah, I mean, I could literally keep going with that quote. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> you know, and it just is like what she said we're all those things, we are the yin and yang of it. It's like it's a part of us. Yeah. You know? And to deny it is denying ourselves love. Yeah. You know, um, just that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jimmy, for <laughs> coming to my podcast. We'll have to bring you back again because I think me and you have so many topics to discuss. Next, <laughs> yeah. time, next time we talk offline, I'm going to start recording us. <laughs> the podcast himself, itself. I've, I've done it before. I'm like, wait, 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 let me start recording. Let me get this <laughs> podcast right now. <laughs> hey, I mean, the Saturday, we talked for what? Like good couple of hours. Two and a half hours. Yeah. That, we could have recorded and that would have been like two, we three episodes have. right there. <laughs> <laughs> we had some deep topics to discuss. People do that. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. Episode is done. Hopefully, you guys have learned. And reach out to Jimmy Allen. His websites, his links would be in my social media in the link of the podcast. Here, Rish, your host, signing off yet for another episode. And wait till the next one from Dads and Deadlifts. Thank you, guys. Stay safe. Stay blessed. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone. 
and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.